0: G'day and welcome to another episode of Meet the Filmmaker, recorded live at Cinema Nova Melbourne. Today we have a meeting of great minds, where author and refugee advocate Christoph Chalkas is talking with Eva Orner, the director of the new gripping Australian documentary, Chasing Asylum. Let's have a listen now. I'm Christos Chalkas, and what I want, I want to begin by actually just saying a big thank you to Eva Orner for making this incredible film. Uh, it's the second time I was, uh, I've seen it. I was um, I saw it uh, at home uh, on my computer screen first time, and was uh, uh, I just I stopped everything that day. There was nothing else I could do but think about the film. But I'm I'm really glad I saw it in an audience and to to see your reaction. I'll be really. Quick, there's two important things I want to say. The first is, even I want to acknowledge that we're all on Wurundjeri land of the, the Kulin Nation, and we want to pay our respects um, to the elders past and present. Uh, and the second thing too is, I wish I were better at it, but I am an ambassador for the Asylum Seekers Resource Centre. In June, so next month, it's going to be 15 years that they have been providing legal health, educational advocates' uh, assistance to uh, asylum seekers and refugees. <clears throat> That work is ongoing and absolutely necessary as the film exposes. Um, you live in LA now. You're Australian. And you've, you were saying... You were writing and you have been explaining that you were waiting for one of us Australians to make this film. Why do you think, why do you think it, um, it took you? Why, why hasn't it come from, from one of us?
1: Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. Um, uh, I mean, yes, I have lived in the States since 2004. I'm a Melbourne girl originally. Um, the Nova used to be my cinema. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I left... Not that long after the tamper, and it was still really etched firmly in my head. I'm sure everyone remembers 2001 when a boatload of predominantly Hazaras from Afghanistan weren't let into the country, and John Howard used it quite cynically to win an election. And ever since then, you know, this has been the result. And I guess, I, you know, I never thought it would go on this long. Um, if you told I started this at the beginning of 2014, and if you'd said to me back in 2001 this would still be happening, I would not have believed you. Um, so I guess, you know, I watched from a distance um, and, you know, when Kevin Rudd got in, I was with some Australian friends in New York and we stayed up all night. I remember it completely and we popped champagne and the camps closed and then we reeled in horror when they reopened op- reopened by the same administration. And it was 2013 and it was Abbott, it was boat towbacks, it was all this, you know, stop the boats, deaths at seas. And I was, I just, I hadn't been home in a few years and I just was... I couldn't believe what had happened and I was talking to a lot of my friends who were really smart and they were saying things like illegal asylum seekers and queue jumpers and and I just I just I don't know. I guess it's part of who I am. I mean, I think we're probably from somewhat similar backgrounds, both first generation. Um, You know, my my story is my parents were born in 1937 in Poland, Jewish. Um, Three of my four grandparents were killed in the Holocaust. So I come sort of, you know, my parents came to Australia in the 50s as immigrants. We had a great life. I had a great education. Um, You know, I knew I only knew what it was to live in a democracy and have choices and freedoms and. It just didn't sit. you know I'm, no matter where I live in the world, I'm Australian and proudly Australian, and you're right, I was waiting for someone to make the film, and part of what I wanted to do was I wanted to clear up a lot of misconceptions because it's a complicated issue, and I thought I could probably maybe do it in a film, um, but I also thought. You know, I'm lucky enough where my films tend to get a pretty good audience internationally, and I thought, what if a lot of people saw this internationally? Because people don't really know what's going on. And then, you know, once I got into it, then I got really ambitious and said, what if we got into the camps? You know, (laughs) because I thought that would be very important to show people what it is. So, you know, it was a whole combination of things, Um, and, and that whole thing about me living in America, you know, I've spent four weeks at home in the last two years, so it's definitely been a big commitment that I'm, you know, I'm here and I'm travelling around the country and trying to force people to see it. <laughs> uh,
0: one of the I mean, the, I remember that first time I saw the film, uh, one of the, uh, the real insights for me of Chasing Asylum and uh, one of the shocks, and why should it be a shock, is how our government and our successive governments have kept uh, information from us, Mm -hmm. how they have made it almost impossible to get information about what is happening in the camps in uh, Nauru and Manus Island. You've met... One of the things you've done as a filmmaker is um, gain the trust of both the um, refugees but also the people working on on those islands. What was that process like and also what was the responsibility of that like too? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been making films for 20 years and I've made a lot of really hard films, but this by far is the hardest. Um, You know, I I keep saying if I'd known how hard it was going to be, I never would have done it. You know, I was all cocky a couple of years ago saying, nobody's done this film, I'm going to do it. And it's like halfway through, I was like, oh, my God. It's about places you cannot go, people you cannot speak to. And then halfway through the making of the film, the Border Force Protection Act comes out, and, you know, with the odious whistleblowing clause, and suddenly it's like oh, shit, (laughs) we could get in a lot of trouble. Um, And so I've never had a film where I've had so many lawyers working for me, all pro bono, and not just human rights lawyers, but criminal QCs. I mean, I spent, you know, afternoons in chambers with a group of criminal QCs who were, like, mooting the new legislation to see what it meant and, and who would be implicated. So... When I got back, you know, some of the first things I did was meet with whistleblowers. Um, And I was really, it took a long time. It took 18 months to make, a little longer actually, probably closer to two years to make the film. And I was filming a lot of things, but a lot of like the whistleblowing stuff came in towards the end. And the the edit was eight months and the film changed a lot in the edit because so much new information was coming in. Um, so we sort of I always say documentaries like a dance, you know, you have to be really nimble, especially with a story that's continuing. and so there was just a lot of you know whistle, some of the whistleblowers came in later and and obviously with with some of those people came in some of the stuff that I'm not allowed to talk about legally <laughs> which is the footage um so yeah, it was. It was about trust. It was about building relationships. It was about their hunger to want to tell the truth and needing someone that they could trust. Um, and I guess that's what they saw in me. And I'm so thankful. Um, I the, some of the whistleblowers who you know were potentially at risk, you know, saw various cuts of the film. Um, they met with my lawyers often on their own, repeatedly, so that they would feel comfortable and know their level of risk. And they knew that, and they know now that they always have, you know, the top lawyers in the country ready to bat for all of us. Um, And a lot of them came to the premiere in Melbourne, which was the opening night of the Human Rights Film Festival. And it was, you know, it was, so emotional and and wonderful. Um, Martin, who I can talk about, you know, he's the the guard. Um, his life was pretty shattered by the experience. Said to me, he just he doesn't feel so alone anymore. Um, and he's been he's having, he's, he's he's gone to a lot of screenings and engaging with a lot of audiences, and I think that's very helpful for him. Um, and I introduced them all to Sarah hansen Young yeah. and people like that, and so I think they've had, you know, validation and and they know they're not alone. I think that's been the main thing. And then I had a very emotional thing happen uh, at the Sydney premiere. One of the main whistleblowers' mom and her girlfriend came up to me before the screening. And it was really unexpected. I completely, I didn't fall apart, but I got really teary at the thought of one of these young people's mothers seeing what they did and what they were exposed to for the first time. And it was was almost like too much and I, I was, I was a bit of a wreck and afterwards they were incredibly upset but really thankful and grateful and really proud of their daughter. Um, And I always say with the whistleblowers, you know, without the whistleblowers this would be a very different film. Um, And when you look back on history it's always the whistleblowers. And so they are, I mean, obviously the refugees and the asylum seekers are beautiful extraordinary people and deserve better and deserve a chance. Um, But Without the whistleblowers, you know, they wouldn't even have that chance. And I just, I, I'm so indebted and grateful to them. I think they're incredible. I can incredible. understand
0: that because it is uh, that footage um, that came out of uh, Nauru, that footage that came that came out of a Menace, It is a real, um, it's a real punch uh, for us. I think all of us as Australians, because we have been kept from that. And I think, uh, and I am going to uh, um, to, uh, to to kind of get to this because I'm. Um, I think you've got. You have, through your work, um, through the documentary films you make, you have been to some of the harsh, harshest places on this planet. You have seen some of the most ugly things that humans can do to other humans. Um, but you've been away from Australia for, for a long while. Uh, what is... and uh, I, I know you love this country, but what, what, why is it, do you think, that this is happening in this particular way here? I'm asking that because that's the question that I keep waking up to every day.
1: No, everyone keeps asking me that. I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what's wrong with us. Um, I mean, I'm pretty hardcore about my answer to that, and I think you only have to look at our history. I mean, we don't have a good history if we go, you know, I always say, how many people in the room are first generation, second generation, and so on, and, you know, most of us are new here. The ones that aren't, you know, the history is pretty pretty brutal there. And then it's like, how did how did all of our people get to Australia by boat? Were they invited? Most of them weren't. You know, what did they do when they got here? Well, the early ones killed all the Indigenous people. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's this really weird thing where we have this incredible sense of ownership of this land that we haven't had for very long. You know, I'm lucky to be here, I'm first generation. Um, I've
0: got to tell you this, because, you you know, reading your book and you're talking about your your heritage and, you know, that these questions are really important for you because of what your parents and grandparents, what your family went through. But a few months ago, I was driving with my mum and my partner and we were going through Gippsland and just those wide open roads and she leaned across and just said, there's so much space here, Christos. (laughs) What are we we scared of? And I'm not... I just think that that recognition of uh, our fortune... Um, that we um, and yeah. knowing where people have come from, I think does dictate a way you, you 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 try and understand the issues that we've just seen on the on the screen. Yeah. Uh, uh, the the young woman um, who so poignantly um, talked about the suffering of the um, the people she was working with, she used the word shame yeah. about being. And two weeks ago, um, when um, the young man Omid, um set himself af- a light and died. Um, I was, and it happened to be Orthodox Easter, and it's a long time since I've been religious, but I couldn't help but think of uh, what it meant uh, to suffer um, and to, um, and just, you know, the death on the cross and kind of thinking, well, that happened, that happened at this, um, that happened in my name um, um, that day, that night, that, that week. And I remember, drafting this letter, and because of my access to the literary world, it was to friends in Europe, in the UK, in America to say, um, don't come here, don't come to our festivals, don't, don't. you know, that there needs to be a boycott because of um, how shameful we are. I talked to two friends who are very... Um, I, I did talk to two friends who are writers as well, and very successful writers, and they said that's a huge ask, and the Sydney... Writers' Festival was on and there are people who are already from those places coming and travelling. I think a boycott of such a, uh, of such force is a really hard thing to do. Do you think we need something like that and is this film going to or, or is there something else that you, you think we need to do?
1: I mean, I think that's a great idea and I was just at the Sydney Writers' Festival and um, Roger Cohen was someone I met there who's a New York Times columnist and he just wrote this scathing piece Um that you can see if you Google it, or it's on our website and on... I mean, on our social media. And actually, Dutton... See, this is what's interesting. Dutton responded to him via Twitter, I think because he is a man and he is American and he has a big audience with The New York Times, and he mentioned our film. Now, I have not had a word out of these guys, as you saw in the last frame, you know, and it's so interesting because, you know, we were sneaking around using encrypted apps, being very careful because of, you know... Secrecy laws and, and things that were going on, but they won't respond. And I just did BBC News Hour a couple of days ago, um, which is listened to by like 60 million people around the world. And they approached Dutton's office, and they didn't respond. But they said, "They," but they said, "My film is inaccurate." And then the BBC fact-checked it and said, "Well, it's, it's not." <laughs> you know, and they said, we're, "We're still, we still have an open invitation to the Australian government to comment on this." So it's like they won't comment. To me, yes, we're really goading them. <laughs> but, um, and I think, I think, sure, do something internationally. Um, but to me, I think it's up to us. And people keep saying, what do we do, what do we do? And I keep referencing back to let them stay. I mean, we've got an election coming. Labor and Liberal have appalling policies. They're virtually the same. Nothing's going to change. There's a chance to change the balance of power at this election um, because it's a double dissolution. So I keep telling people, you know don't think about taxes and money and superannuation. For the next few years, think about this. This is a really, this is our legacy. Is this who we want to be? And so I keep telling people quite naughtily that they should consider voting for a party that some people don't want to vote for, that is smaller and named after a primary colour. But I <laughs> won't tell you who to vote for because that could change something. But that's up to you guys. But then I say, here's the thing. What's going to change things is, is us. And when you look back over the last period, you know what worked? Let them stay. There was a baby to be returned to Nauru. It came here to be, he, she came here, she, it was a girl, wasn't it, baby Usher, to, to be treated in Brisbane for some illness. And a couple of doctors, a couple of hundred doctors and nurses said no, the baby's not going back to Nauru, and stood outside that hospital in a vigil. And more and more people joined. And I did a screening last night in Brisbane and a lot of those people were in the audience. And I said, it's you guys. You guys did that. Now, if everybody, and obviously not everyone's going to stand up, but if 30, 40, 50% of the population got together and just said no, it's like, to me, it feels like, I mean, I'm too young to remember, but it feels like Vietnam. It's like, it's come to that. So I think internally we have to stand up. And then externally, I felt the government... You know, it's hard. It's like, you know, when there's that hideous quote when Tony Abbott says he's sick of being... You know, we're all sick of being elected to by the UN. Well, I'm personally not, and he can go fuck himself. Um <laughs> <laughs> but, and, but I will also say, you know, when Omid... You know, when there were the two um, self-immolations in the last month, you know, our Prime Minister said, and I quote him, let's not get misty-eyed, and it's like... If we don't get misty-eyed over that, what do we get misty-eyed over? I mean, that was so shocking to me. So I think it's up to people to stand up, and I'm hoping that this will help galvanise people and educate people. And then internationally, um, the really good news is the film's going to get seen by tens of millions of people internationally, and I can't exactly talk about it quite yet, but over the next few weeks we'll be releasing a lot of information about international sales, and a lot of people will be seeing this internationally.
0: (laughs) Eva, congrats. Um, I will... Um, the other thing I want um, to say to, to add to that, because I think it's important, is also, um, I, you know, you can't live in this country and not know how divisive this issue is and how the debate is. And it's um, not only in this, in this cinema, but, you know, you have it every time you go to uh, a relative's... Um,
1: <laughs>
0: function. You go to a wedding, you go to a dinner, you go to the holidays, you, um, in your workplace. And I actually don't think to be scared of um, the the politics. and not to be. This is also um, um, because of my heritage. I know how this is ripping apart a place called Greece. I know that this is not an easy conversation to have in Europe. I know it's not an easy conversation um, to have in the United States. That... And I don't think we should need to be scared of that conversation, and I don't think we need to be righteous about that conversation. We really need to have it about what the fact is that we have 60 million plus people who are displaced in the world. How we're we going to deal with it as a planet? What is outrageous is what we're doing to two, those 2,000 plus people in those camps. And that is, you know, I think sometimes I'd like. Uh, I think that is what I want to get across to people who say to me, "But we stop the boats." People aren't drowning at sea. They're
1: just not drowning in our seas that we know of. And the the other thing that I'm saying a lot to people is, you know, the the big the big one of one of the arguments is, you know, what do you want us to do? Let them all in? And it's like no one is saying that. There's 60 million people, and most of those 60 million people stay in neighbouring countries. They're in Jordan. They're in Turkey. Most people don't want to come to Australia. You know, that's the other thing. We're so arrogant. <laughs> I mean, it's not the most... You know, but it's far away. It's far from their culture and their, their, where they're from. And the most liberal-minded people, you know, well, people are saying, like, can we take 30,000, maybe 50,000 a year? Well, that's all we're saying. Like, just not the lowest intake we've had in decades. Um, and also, obviously, not torturing and killing people and putting them on deserted islands where they have no place to be. So I, it's just about... All we're saying is, can we just be human? And I think so, when when you find yourself in those arguments and when people talk about economic refugees and, you know, when the system works, it works. We are signatory to the UN Refugee Convention. When we process people, 90% of those people are found to be refugees. And if you look at Malcolm Fraser, sure, it was a different time. There weren't as many people. But there were a lot of people coming on boats when the Vietnamese started coming. And he was like, this is horrific. We have to fix this. And then he said something that killed me, which was I felt we had to do something because we had been involved there. Now, Iraq, Yemen, Libya, Afghanistan, Syria, we're all involved there. And that's what drives me crazy about this. It's so mean-spirited. And we are involved, and we should take... You know, I think we should take 50,000 people, bring them into the country, integrate them, and how lucky would we be, you know? Uh, Yep. I just... One little anecdote from last night. There were a whole bunch of school kids that came last night uh, and some of them were Vietnamese, and this is how old I am, but I was like, oh, my gosh, did your parents come on boats? And they said, no, my grandfather did. (laughs) And um, and I was like... And she was so moved and it was really sweet and they're going to do a screening at this school and I was really touched, so...
0: Look, um, I'm not going to bogart this uh, conversation because I know people um, have a lot of questions that they want to ask Eva, so I'll open it up um, to... To you, um, and look. Um, to repeat uh, Ingrid's point at the start of the screening, I know there's a lot that people want to say, but can I? Can we ask for questions and not statements? Have you noticed the AFP coming for you yet? Yeah, they've been checking computers of doctors for refugees at airports. I thought yeah,
1: maybe were... um, um, Dr. Young came to the screening in Sydney, the premiere, a couple of weeks ago, and he said he was. He was getting harassed, and I said, you need a lawyer? And he already had George Newhouse. Uh, he's a really good friend. Um, I, we seem to be okay. I'm getting a bit ballsier with what I'm saying. I said something on radio the other day, and my lawyer was just like, Are you? He, my lawyer said to me, I said, am I in trouble? And he said, uh, "He said, no, I've always wanted to do a free speech case. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first week when I got here... Um, You know, we we premiered in Toronto very specifically, like, five days before the Australian premiere so that there would be tonnes of press uh, internationally so that if anything happened, it would be like a scandal. It was all very calculated because we were kind of worried. And when I came into the country, like, three weeks ago, you know, my, my team of lawyers were all waiting, you know, had my flight details and I was, like, landed. through through customs, don't see any border force, you know, it was was like really, I mean, it was insane. It's it's Australia, and here's the thing, I've done nothing, all I've done is tell the truth that we're all paying for. It's so, that's what's crazy to me, Um, you know, all this sneaking around, when people say, how did you get the footage? It's like, that's not the question. The question is, why is this even an issue? Why can't we go there and see it?
0: I've got... Sorry, I am going to bog up the conversation just very quickly because um, I just wanted to know, did any of those X, uh, XPMs even come close to talking to you or was it a...
1: No, I, I got a bunch. We did it all by email, so I had it all in paper. And I actually wanted to put all the... The last chapter was going to be all the um, rejection letters from all the Prime Ministers and Immigration Ministers, but HarperCollins lawyers wouldn't let me do it. They said I wasn't allowed to do it, which... I found, I just, by that point, I, I had no I didn't have any fight left in me, to be honest. Um, but, no, I got these really bizarre emails. The weirdest one was from John Howard's, you know, people saying that he, he was too, he wasn't available, he was too busy, but he was sure this would be like an excellent contribution to Australian history, and it was like what (laughs) we had it hanging we had them all hanging on the office wall for a while um and 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 alongside that was because like about 10% of the budget of the film was a crowd fund and I first that's when I first approached Mr Fraser who I didn't know and um he had a really big Twitter following and I asked him to tweet about the crowd fund and he oh god I want to cry and he did and we had that on the wall of the office as well it was this really beautiful tweet that he did you know support at Eva Orna kind of thing it was really sweet
0: I know, my second protest I was ever taken to was um, against Fraser, and I can't, I feel a little bit regretful now. No, but
1: that's that's the crazy thing, you know, Fraser was really conservative, considered really conservative, and now conservatives think he's such a sort of liberal trader, and you know, the world has gone mad, it's, it's just, it's crazy. So the answer is no, um, we've just put in an application for my free, through the Freedom of Information Act for my AFP files because we thought that would be a really fun thing to tweet, like for more publicity because I'm sure my files will be really, really big. But then, and then I said to my lawyers, what if there's nothing? What if we made the whole thing up? And he went, yeah, it's not going to be anything. <laughs> Um, I was just wondering if you or any of your crew members had to take psychological treatment after filming this film? Um, I mean, it was mainly me. (laughs) Um, The way that I work because i shot in so many countries, like Iran, Afghanistan, Lebanon, I tend to go on my own and pick up locals because I'm such a liability. I don't speak the language. It's so much better when you have people who know what you can risk, what's safe and what's not. And I find people that work a lot in those areas, actually, and that also dip in and out of the project. You know, it wasn't so affecting to them. Um, my, My DP in Indonesia, Tim Deagle, who, you know, he's been in every war zone for the last 30 years. He was... He was so affected by this, and he was really shocked he didn't know much about it, his English. Um, So, no. And honestly, to me, it's more about everyone else. You know, the whistleblowers are really damaged. A lot of the refugees and asylum seekers are damaged. I was just having dinner the other night with a lawyer who just got back from Manus, and she said, you know, since Transfield have taken over and saved the children are out of there now, there's not a lot of support services or psychologists there and social workers, and she said it's pretty much... You know, she she was very... Upset, she said. She got back and cried for days. And she's pretty tough. And she just said, "It's, it's, you know, it's like the living dead there now. It's very, very bad." Um, and in, you know, in terms of me, I mean, you know. I have a therapist. He says I'm not allowed to do this kind of work anymore, and I keep doing it. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's, people always want to ask, but I don't. I don't want to make it about me. You know, I, I'm not in my films. It's it's about it's about this. You know?
0: Can I see you? I'm, Eva's being a bit self-deprecating, and if you you know, when you read the book, um, the cost of being the kind of documentary <laughs> filmmaker you are, um, uh, really strikes something it did with me.
1: Yeah, I'm, I have a lot of physical wounds. <laughs> How do
0: you think, in regards to the people on Manus and and Nauru, changing the language to political hostages? Because they are political hostages and they're being held hostage by our government to warn other countries, and whether changing the language sometimes sort of just helps in some way sort of shock the government or something? Yeah
1: question about changing the language. There's a lot of that in activism. I mean, I'm not, at the end of the day, it's weird. I'm not an activist. You know, I tell stories. I'm a filmmaker, so it's not really my area. But I notice that in a lot of the messaging, the language gets changed and wording is changed. To me, the most damaging is illegal. Um, and you see that, you know, the head of our military in that commercial, you know, the guy with the eyes really close together. Um, <laughs> this is interesting, though. You know, that ad is a real government ad when he says, if you come to Australia illegally by boat. Um, and a bunch of people when they first saw the film thought he was an actor and it was fake. And I was like, no, that's, that's our commander, you know, that's... And, I guess it's up to journalists and to people every time you see that word to say, no, no, that's actually erroneous, you're wrong. And I wish journalists would do that to politicians. That drives me insane. And I've written quite a lot of articles about it, but, you know, every time, if, if one of these idiots is talking to Emma Alberici or someone like that and says illegal, her job is to say, I'm sorry, sir, but that's not correct, and they don't, and I don't understand why that is.
0: I mean, I, I was thinking, you know, I, you know, you, you, I, those camps are prison camps, the concentration camps. You can use that language, but I think Eva is absolutely right. It's that terrible word, illegal, in front of the uh, whatever the appellation is. And, and
1: I also think it's past words. I think, I think, I, I do. I think everyone has to get up and stand up. And you know, I, it, it feels to me a bit like talk is cheap now, and it's gone past that. And that's partly why I wanted to show it to you people because. Before you saw it, all these words had been written about it. There's some really good journalism. But I feel like until you see it, it's not real. And I feel like now we've borne witness. And now we have no excuse. Well, you I, know?
0: Think, I think that um, that act of bearing witness, I was thinking about it, um, uh, about your film, that... Uh, what is it that a, uh, a terrific documentary does, and so often it is that it does bear witness. And that's, that's why I think I could feel it in the auditorium, and that's what I felt from t- when I saw it and when I saw it again, is that my eyes were opened to, as a, to a horror that has been done in our name and that we are all equally responsible for in the sense that we can do something about it, uh, even if it begins by having that argument across the dinner table.
1: And just get everyone to see it. I mean, it's so hard getting people into a cinema. The issue here is, you know, ABC and SBS are government-owned stations. Um, I also feel like this film warrants people getting together, sitting in the dark, not looking at their phones for 96 minutes. So, you know, we're having a tremendous response. I mean, every screening has been full... But it's gonna it's gonna wind down, and I can't be at every screening. And you know, it's gonna wind down, and so we've got this mechanism in place. Um, I don't know if you all know about hosting a screening. You can do it yourself, and they're springing up all over the country. There's like 30 of them all over the place, in cities, in rural areas, and so I'm saying to every audience that I'm at, you know, five, 10 people commit now to hosting a screening, and that's that's activism because if you if everyone. If in every screening, five screening, five people host a screening, and then in that screening, five people host a screening, there will be thousands of screenings, and people who aren't activists or who aren't sympathetic will come across this, and that's how it will spread. So I'm really pushing that. And I'm, I'm not trying to do a sales pitch. I'm just letting you know. It's just on our website, chasingasylum.com.au. You click on Take Action. You click on Host a Screening. If you ca- it's really simple. Everything's done for you, and if you can't, there's a contact as well. It's also so. a
0: really excellent uh, website for research. Sources about what you can do to get active and um, and change the situation as well.
1: We just stole everything from the ASRC's <laughs> website.
0: <laughs> I'm sure they were happy with that.
1: Hi, Eva. Thank you. Um, I read uh, that the original working title for this film was uh, "Bloody Un-Australian." Uh, I'm curious as to why you didn't go with that title because it seems uh, very apt. Um, so, quite a few people have asked. It's nice that people liked the title. Um, so, when I started, I, I didn't get any government money for this film because, I, for obvious reasons, so I had to raise a lot of money. It was an expensive film privately, and... One of the first things I did, which raised about... It was a little less than 10% of the budget, but it was great, and it built a community, was doing a crowdfund, which I'd never done. And so it was suddenly like, oh, shit, we have to do a video for the crowdfund, we, and we have to have a campaign, I need a title. And this phrase from, like, my childhood in the 70s and 80s kept coming back to me, which is, you know, bloody un-Australian, and it really captures everything because it's about, you know, when something's not right? Or decent, and I really liked it. But my sales agents, who are selling the film internationally, which is also really important, were pretty horrified by the title, <laughs> and they love me, but they were like, "Yeah, no one's going to buy this. No one's going to watch this." So it was actually really just a practical thing, and um, and I think "Chasing Asylums." Well, I'm really, I really like it, and actually, my distributor, you know, Rob, recently said he really liked the title because. What I like about it is, you know, the the main sort of recurring image in the film is that incredible footage of the boat and it's sort of like these people, no matter... You know, they could be coming to Australia, they could be coming to Europe, they're just... No matter what we do, that tide of people is not going to stop and I kind of like that, you know, they are chasing this, this thing. So, you know...
0: I think... That's that the point to keep to making by introducing people to this film, and it's the point to make um, internationally that this is what's occurring in these detention centres is the actual obscenity. I just want to thank Eva for her patience. I want to thank Eva for her art. I want to thank her for her commitment and uh, for for making this film. Thank you so very much.
1: just screening. Well,
0: that was Christoph Choukas and Eva Orner talking about the film Chasing Asylum, out now at Cinema Nova. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, recorded and edited by Patrick Bridges. Special thanks to Cinema Nova and Cinema Plus Films.